Today, we'll, we're going to actually be beginning, we're actually starting a sermon series, a three-part sermon series on what is the church, what is the church. And especially in times like these, uh, where we are watching the sermon uh, just apart from each other, some core uh, truths that we're beginning to realize more and more about the church, at times like these, is church is not a building, but a people. And we're beginning to see that um, for the past couple of weeks, for sure, and Second, God's design and the importance of having community. And um, as, as great as it is and as thankful as I am to be able to see each other on Zoom, I'm really thankful that um, we can do that. But I, am, I cannot wait to just see everyone in person once again. Uh, so today I'm going to be kicking off the sermon series on what is the church. And I'm not going to reveal what next week and the following week is going to be on. But today I'm going to be preaching on the church as a family. Okay, the church as a family. Um, as we were worshiping, um, I really felt in my heart, uh, this idea came to mind. And this idea was, you know, when you're making, when we're making, un- when we make unhealthy decisions, like when we smoke or when we eat fried chicken every day or just unhealthy decisions, you don't really, you don't really feel its impact immediately. It's only after an accumulation of it, of bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, where at a point in your life, you begin to feel the difference. Um, that is an example. Why I'm sharing that is that's a negative example. But the positive example is this. Same goals when it comes for our growth. Same goes when it comes, for, comes to when we make healthy decisions. We don't necessarily feel the growth right in the moment when we take that green juice or when we do those 200 sit-ups. You don't see results immediately. Um, the reason why I'm sharing this is as we were worshiping, I felt very encouraged. And I wanted to pass this along to our church community that I really believe that God is truly moving in our church. And there's so much growth going on. And even though we may not feel it immediately, those who are doing the Bible reading plan, those who are meeting for the Bible studies on Zoom, we may not feel it immediately. Sometimes it may even feel dry. But I can assure you, uh, just like, imagine with me just a little kid going up to a doorpost and just measuring his height. He He never feels his growth, but ever so often when he goes to that doorpost, there's a mark there. And he's like, oh, I have grown. We don't necessarily feel the growth, but... It is happening. And I want to encourage our church during this crazy season where we're meeting apart and we're making decisions to make, to be healthy, spiritually especially, um, be encouraged because we as a church, we are growing. And as I was preparing this message as church, as a family, uh, I was even more encouraged uh, to to know that uh, we are growing as a family. We're not perfect. We can be dysfunctional at times, but we are definitely growing as a family. A question I have is, what words come to mind? What words come to your mind when you think of family? When you think of family, the immediate words that come to mind. Uh, Depending on the culture and what sort of family dynamic that you grew up in, uh, I'm sure there's a wide spectrum of words from positive to negative. Um, Some immediate words that come to mind for me are messy, belonging, safety, pain, healing, laughter, 
joy. Um, I don't know what it is for you guys, but everybody has different experiences when it comes to how they grew up in family. The Bible says that the church is a family. And the, church, the Bible actually has many metaphors as, to describe the church. For example, metaphors like church as a bride, church as the army, church as the body, uh, the church as the temple. There's many metaphors. But I want to point out that when it comes to church as family, this is not a metaphor. This is literal. You and I, those who are in Christ, we are the family of God. Not a metaphor. This is a truth. Uh, I'm sure um, when we read Romans 8, it says that you and I, we are children of God. Those who are in Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. We were once enemies. We were once orphans. And because of the blood of Jesus, which by the way, Jesus is known as the Son of God. And we're not going to get too deeply into this, but when it comes to who God is as a Trinitarian Godhead, God as a Father, God as a Son, God as a Holy Spirit, the essence of who God is, is family. So what's happening is when we are adopted into the family of God, Jesus Christ, our older brother, because of what he has done, we have been adopted into this glorious family. And you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether we like it or not. Whether we like it or not. Pastor Susie just laughed. Um, for me, I'm blessed to have her in my life. Um, for me, it's whether I like it, right? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Susie. Right? The desire of God's heart is to have a family that manifests himself by loving one another. Think of it like this. The God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit is family. Unity perfect unity in one. And because of the sweet gospel message, you and I have been brought into this family, brought into this communion, brought into this fellowship with who God is. When it comes to the church in Rome, the book of Romans is a letter written by Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. Paul exhorts the church in Rome, and he is speaking to a community, many communities, that are actually not very uniform, not very homogenous. Um, maybe some of us, we grew up in churches that are very homogenous. Um, I, I, I grew up in a church that predominantly Asian, predominantly Korean. In the church in Rome, it was a community of both Jews and Gentiles. Jews religiously, religiously and ethnically, but also Gentiles, Romans, people that are immersed in Greek culture. They're, in this church, there's just such a wide variety of differences in thought, differences in values, in worldview, in culture, in upbringing, in history. These are all the external factors that bring about all these differences in this church. But on top of that, let's not forget about the internal factors the internal differences. Every single person probably has a personality difference. Every single person like us were raised in their families in a different way. Every person brings their baggage and their gifts. So the external and internal factors. There's such a variety and a diversity of people here in the church in Rome. You get all these different kinds of people together and all of a sudden 
all of a sudden, what? They look at each other and, and they're told, you and I were family all of a sudden? You and I were, were supposed to function as a family all of a sudden? You know, the core virtue that will actually make this impossible task possible, the core virtue that binds us all together with all our differences is this virtue of love. And I will say supernatural love. Without supernatural love that stems from who God is, it is impossible with such diversity for us to become actually a family that God envisioned. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12 as Paul exhorts this diverse group here. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 16. I'm going to read from the ESV and I put it up here on the slides and let's, um, let's read it together. Um, I'll read it for us. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Amen. This short passage here is uh, so loaded. And we're going to go through this verse by verse. And before we get into um, getting into these verses, I want to share a little about my life during college. Uh, I went to James Madison University. And for all four years of my time in that university, I was involved in a Christian campus ministry called Agape Christian Fellowship, ACF. Um, I loved my time there, and uh, much of my spiritual development and growth has come from my time there. Uh, in ACF, I look around, and I would say that around 98, 99% of the people around me were Asian. And of those 98%, around 90% of that were Korean Americans. So I looked around, and everybody around me or Asian. And even in my church back home, the people that I grew up with in the church community was Asian. I don't know if you guys can relate. On Sundays, because we were just a campus fellowship that met on the weekdays, on Sundays we would go to a local church. We went to this church called Covenant Presbyterian Church. And James Madison University, it's in Harrisonburg, Virginia. It's near where the farmlands are at. So very far from the city. And you can smell fertilizer every other day. Uh, and so on Sunday, we went to this church. And you go into this church and you look around. And everybody, not everybody, majority of the people are actually Caucasian. 
And so what, what's happening is every Sunday we would do uh, for our fellowship, we would serve by providing Sunday rides. We would pick up people from our fellowship. We would go to this church together. And every Sunday, what you would see is one section of the church is all of a sudden during the school year, all of a sudden just a bunch of age, Asians just sitting together. And then the rest of the church, there's about like 700, people, 800 people in the congregation are all Caucasians. We stuck out like a sore thumb. And after about a year, I just began to notice something just feels off. Going to this church, this family, uh, every Sunday, we would go in, worship, we would listen to the message. And then on our own, we would go off to eat on our own uh, amongst us Asians. And even though the church had house church signups and events. We never went to them. And something just fell off in my heart. Um, so something that I decided to do is I went up to the pastor. His name is Pastor Ken, amazing man of God. And I went up to him and I said, hey, like, I want to get plugged in. Um, I'm actually looking for a men's small group to join. Is there anything? And then he said, whoa, right on time. I'm actually starting one at my house beginning next week. Would you like to come and join? And I was like, yeah, for sure, for sure. I would love to come and join. The following week, I go there, and it's like 13 men. I was the youngest one there. Out of these 13 men, like around eight to nine of them are married and have families. So I'm this college student. Guess what? I'm the only Asian there. I'm the only Asian there, and everybody else is Caucasian. And I go in. And it was quite the adjustment. I'm not going to lie. It was so different from what I was used to. It was so awkward. Um, I go in, and not only are we different in just, in just race, but the culture we grew up in and life stages as well. I'm like, what am I doing here? I was like, I felt so uncomfortable, but I was so tempted to just be like, oh, forget it. It's going to go back to ACF. <laughs> I love ACF, by the way. So I go over here and I, I just stick it through and just after a couple weeks, just adjusting to leaving my shoes on, walking into the house, adjusting to the different types of conversations. Like we get together and these people are just talking about like what kind of game they caught at, as they went hunting last week. I never grew up hunting, you know, it's just different. And just as I got used to it little by little. Things got less and less awkward, not only because of time, actually. This men's group was so important in my development as a Christian. Uh, not only because I left my a comfort zone uh, to be discipled in a group that I was not used to, but as we were doing life together, what happened was things began to get a little bit more vulnerable because when you open the word of God and you study it together, you can't help but to confess what God reveals. So around the fifth week or so, we started just confessing our sins. We started just coming clean. And the more and more we realized how much more common we had actually as human beings, the more and more we felt like we were becoming more and more like brothers in Christ. People were confessing their sins, the same sins that everybody else, honestly, was struggling with. We would begin to share stories and experience 
stories of joy. We're going to celebrate together as someone had a baby and, and as I passed a, passed a class. <laughs> and we would share our pain. When it was in my, um, it was in my senior year in university where uh, my father passed away from a brain aneurysm. And it was at that time when it was the most difficult part of my life. That's when this group of Caucasian men, they would just reach out to me. They would hug me so tightly. They would send me messages. They would send me care packages. And I got to experience the sweetness of what Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12. What brought us together was a shared human experience of pain and the pursuit of Christ. That's what brought us together. Can I share that again? What brought us together amidst all our differences was a shared experience of pain and joy and a pursuit of Christ together. Here in verse 9, it says, um, it says here in verse 9, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Throughout, as we go through these verses, each verse, I want to highlight another depth, another, another angle of love here. And in this verse, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. The love that I see here is a sincere love. It's a sincere love. Here, when it says, let love be genuine, the Greek word for the word genuine or sincere is anupokritos. Anupokritos. When you look at that word, what word can you kind of hear in there? It's where the word hypocrisy comes from. Hypocrisy. Anupokritos, it actually means without hypocrisy. Without hypocrisy. Genuine, sincere, a pure love. A love where there's substance to what you say and believe. There's actually real action that you can receive. An experience. Because when we say one thing, but we don't really mean it, that's a hypocritical love. That's a fake love. And right here, I believe that Paul is differentiating between religious love, which is a love that says, oh, because I'm a Christian, because the Bible says so, I should love. And a pure love. The Beatitudes that blessed are the pure in heart. A pure-hearted love that overflows from it. And as I read this, it says, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. I believe Paul is also saying, when it says hate evil, cling to what is good. Because when we look at one another, we need to learn how to hate the evil, which means hate everything that prevents us from loving sincerely and clinging to everything that causes us to love. Genuine love, anuprokritos, this kind of love increases for one another as we learn to see one another as God sees us. That's a simple, core, fundamental truth right there. We learn to love each other, love one another in sincere ways when we learn to see how God sees us. And I want us to get this here. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 9. At the beginning of this chapter... It's a famous passage where you know, it says, living sacrifice. It talks about what true worship is. And it says here, 
really important line. It says, in view of God's mercy. Can we see that together? One, two, three. In view of God's mercy. Okay, I heard you guys everywhere. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is worship to God. That phrase, in view of God's mercy, what it means is this. With how radically and undeservedly we have been loved in this way, extend this. So, all of Romans, Paul is saying these imperatives. Love like this. Love like this. Do this. But the indicative, right, what it stems from is, do all this in view of God's mercy. Do all this knowing how radically God loves you. In view of God's mercy. So, why I'm sharing this is in verse 9 where it says, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy... Love sincerely. Let me read this quote by Tim Keller. He says, the gospel, I posted this on my Instagram earlier this week. He says, the gospel is this. We are not loved because we are intrinsically lovely or because we have made ourselves worthy of love. We are loved because Jesus died for us when we were unattractive in order to make us attractive. If Christians think of this as they are serving unattractive people, they will find a repentance growing. They will say, Oh Lord, I, will so, I was so much more unattractive to you than this person is to me. Yet you were tortured and killed. You gave up your life for me. And all I need to do is to give up some time and effort for this person. A person who does not understand the gospel cannot do this cannot do this and verse 10 moves on from a sincere love to a a committed love and verse 10 says love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor another translation it says be devoted to one another with brotherly affection be devoted committed to one another with brotherly affection. That word love translated in Greek, it's, it's actually philostorgos. Philostorgos. Which actually means a tender, I love that word. <laughs> a tender love amongst family members. A brotherly affection. A tender love amongst family members. Here in verse 10, when it says, be devoted to one another. Devotion actually It's not a comfortable word. Commitment is not a comfortable word. Devotion entails enduring, steadfast love, consistency. It implies that there's going to be resistance. As in, there are going to be times when people seem unlovable. I'm sure all of us have experienced, (laughs) experienced that before. Resistance is coming. That's why a committed love is so necessary within the family of God. You know, I like that song, uh, Ever Be. That first verse, it says, Your love, God, your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested like a covenant of old. is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today. Devotion to one another. Commitment to one another. But I want to say this, and I want to emphasize this. It's actually a commitment to one another's Christ-likeness. 
That's what makes us beyond a social circle. In the family of God, it's a commitment to one another's Christ-likeness. As our iron sharpens iron. You know, in a society where divorce and breaking commitment is so common and normal, where we give up when things get tough, we give up when resistance comes, when difficult people come our way, we just want to check out, don't we? When it comes to, you know, marriage is a lot more serious. When it comes to covenant, of course. These days, the rates of divorce are skyrocketing. The number of marriages are decreasing like crazy. Commitment is a scary thing. Where is the practice of devotion and commitment in our times, especially when things get tough? And I love that this verse comes after, let love be sincere. Because it says, a committed love should come from a place where love is sincere. I love the order that Paul says it. A sincere love is a love without hypocrisy, which means this. A sincere love is a love that is not forced. It's a love that is not forced. When love is not forced, it leaves way for safety. It leaves way for commitment to actually happen in a healthy way. When love is not sincere and pure, and when love is forced, people get hurt. People get hurt. After this, it says, outdo one another. Have a little competition, friendly competition in showing honor to one another. And I love this. A huge way of actually expressing brotherly love and family love, Paul says right there, is to show honor to one another. As in, be passionate about it. Not like suggesting it. It says, outdo one another. Be better than each other. As showing honor. Honor here is, in Greek, it's time. In time, it actually means price or value. Price or value. What it means to honor one another, it means to value one another and see each other's worth. As God sees you and I. As Sam was saying, we are worth so much. Our price tag is the blood of Christ. We are worth so much. To honor one another is to see one another as Christ sees us. Precious, valuable. A Philippians 2 kind of love. Where we don't decrease our own value and decrease our own selves, but we elevate and prefer. I love that word. When we prefer the other person above ourselves. That's honoring one another. It's to listen to the other person. It's to grow in the understanding of their passions, their, their wants. You know, when it comes to the family of God, how much do we actually know their needs and their wants and their desires and their passions and their dreams? I, I believe that, um, you know, back in the day at our church, we tried to, there was somewhat of a culture of honor. And we brought a lot of structure, structure to it where there were a lot of like, uh, there were banquets where we had to honor the leaders. We had to give them a gift and stuff like that. And I would say it was a mixture of, as Paul says, a sincere love, a pure love, a mixture of that and a mixture of it being forced. And you know, I've got to say, I have to testify that I've been a recipient of feeling genuine honor from people. You know, I felt 
so lifted up, even when I know I didn't deserve it. Even though, even though I was struggling in shame and inadequacy and, and as a leader, am I doing this right? There were so many times when I got so many cards of just people speaking out the truth and seeing, pointing out my value. I felt so empowered. I genuinely felt motivated to want to love better and to serve with a thankful heart. 1 Corinthians 12, 23, it says, On those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. I love how Paul says that. He says, On the parts of the body of Christ that we think is less honorable, we should show greater honor. The reason why I'm emphasizing we think is because the way that we see one another and what we think is greater honor and lower honor, it's all relative. It's relative. We are so influenced by our sin nature. And you know what? Paul is saying this. Whether we think someone is honorable or not, regardless of that, we have to consider others better than ourselves. Regardless of that, we ought to see one another and see their value and lift them up. Championing one another, believing in one another, and believing for one another. Ultimately, believing in the work of God in one another's lives. Do we believe that? Easier said than done, right? Most of the time we see the sin that has been inflicted upon us, right? That's the most natural thing to feel. But as the Lord is sanctifying every single one of us, God is giving us a new lens to just see one another how God sees us. Again, I want to bring back that phrase, in view of God's mercy, calling out the gold, compassion upon shortcomings. In view of God's mercy means this. God honors us. Isn't that crazy that the king of kings and the lord of lords slow to anger rich in love the lord is gracious and compassionate he chooses to look at you and me where we choose to struggle and and look at our shame and 10 million reasons why god shouldn't love us god's not been convinced of any one of them he looks at us and he says i honor you i see the gold in you you are my son, you are my daughter, you are beautiful, you are wonderfully, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He sees that and he lifts us up. And as he showers this truth upon us, it begins to really transform us. Daily, God lifts you up and he honors you, though we don't deserve it. And the more we get that, when we look at one another, can we not honor one another when we're on the same boat? We're on the same boat. So sincere love committed love and next in verse 12 i want to highlight a passionate love where paul says do not be slothful in zeal never be lacking in zeal be fervent in spirit and serve the lord rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation be constant in prayer here the word zeal in greek is spude spude and what this word zeal means is not just being hyped up about an idea. This word spude means swift and sincere effort. 
It's an action-oriented word. It's not delaying or being passive. We listen to messages, and our heart and our mind comes into agreement with these truths, right? Spude is, let me get these truths. Let me do something about it immediately. It's not being passive about it. What if our church, our family, was filled with spude love? That sounds funny, right? A zealous love for one another. You know, I struggle with this because I'm a hype beast. (laughs) You know, like, I'm a hype beast as in this. I taste a really good dish at a restaurant. And I go to my friends. I go to Pastor Dave. I'm like, yo, bro, you got to try this place. This place is fire, man. It's so good. Wow, you have to. We got. I got to take you here, bro. I think I've said this to him like more than 20 times. And he's always pointed out to me, bro, you never take me. You're all talk. That ain't no spude. You're not so passionate. You're just hyped. But you're not passionate about it. Because if you're really passionate about the food, you would really take me there. Amen? Sorry, brother. I'm growing in this too. Spude love is a fire that won't easily go out. There's a persistence in this in moving forward. What is spude love? To one another in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. Consider the zeal of our Savior. Consider the zeal of Jesus. Even through resistance and trial and affliction. In Song of Songs 867, this zealous love is described like this. His love is as strong as death. Jealousy demanding as the grave. His love burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench this love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Wow, that's, that's powerful. That's the kind of love you and I have been shown. This love that is as strong as a grave where he laid down his life for us. This love where many waters, many lies cannot quench or wash away this love. That's the kind of love that we pray that would overflow from our hearts to one another. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Next is verse 13 is contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And for this, I want to emphasize a safe love. Paul is talking about a safe love. That word Hospitality, philozenion, philozenion, I think I said it right, hospitality. It means brotherly love, phileo love, but towards strangers, toward people we don't know, people, toward people that are so different from us. Seek, that's what hospitality means. And that word, uh, philozenion, what's in that word is actually action as well. It's to not just show hospitality, it's pursue hospitality. Pursue loving the stranger. Pursue loving people that are different from us. Hospitality is this. It's cultivating a space of safety and vulnerability. It's cultivating a space as you're hosting house churches, as you're hosting people at your house. When you're pursuing this kind of love, you're creating a space where people feel safe, where they can be human, where they can be real. 
where Holy Spirit comes and he begins to minister to people from that place. Hospitality entails safety. Where there is safety, there is belonging. All of us are looking for belonging. All of us are looking for a safe place where we can be real. Hospitality, it breaks down walls. It tightens trust. It invites vulnerability. And it brings depth to our relationships. You know, a litmus test of a healthy Christ-centered family, a litmus test is how much we confess our sins to one another. How much we confess our sins to one another. I'm thankful um, for brothers like Pastor David and uh, Daniel. We meet together monthly for accountability, and we feel so safe. I feel so safe. (laughs) We all feel safe around each other where, you know, we confess our sins to one another and feel no shame about it. And we're open to correction. We're open to truth. And I can say honestly, meeting together like this has cultivated, they're my brothers. They're my brothers. I feel family. I feel so blessed to be a part of this. If we don't feel safe enough to confess sins to one another, then there's a lot more room for this kind of family love to grow in our community. A lot more room for authenticity. A lot more room for the gospel to continually transform us on the inside. A lot more room for brotherly affection. A lot more room for honor. I want to share this really cool activity. I shared this before in another sermon, but I've got to share it again because it's so powerful. Uh, a, while, a while back in our community, there, was a sister, there were two sisters named Maria and KK. And at a retreat, at a, a college retreat, they did this activity on shame and community. And what they did is we got in a room and then they put this cross in the middle of the room. And everyone stood around in a circle. And as we stood around in a circle, well, I wasn't there. I just heard about it. As they stood around in a circle as a, with a cross in the middle, Maria and KK, they say, you know what we're going to do right now? Whoever feels led by the Spirit, can you just take a step of courage and confess something that you're struggling with? Confess a sin. And after uh, a moment of awkward silence, finally one person says, I struggle with this. I've been struggling with this. And they said, can you boldly take one step forward? So this person stood out one step forward. And then Maria and KK said this, everybody else who's struggling with this, can you all take one step forward? And then boom, so many people step forward. And they said, let's continue. People confess their sins once again, one step forward. Everybody else that struggled with this or struggling with, can you step forward? Boom. By the end of those 30 minutes, you see a beautiful picture of what? The people of God literally closer together. But greater than that, the people of God so much more closer to the cross. As they draw near to the cross together. This is the family of God. When we pursue hospitality, this is what we're doing. In view of God's mercy, again, in view of God's mercy, hospitality is the expression of having a servant's heart. And I want to read this. I'm going to read this passage from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 to 22. I'm going to read the message version here. I don't have it on the slide, 
But this is, this is how we received it. It says this. Jesus had made things up between us so that we are now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everyone. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You are no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name as named Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as a cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Amen. This is a letter to the Ephesians. It's the same heart that Paul's writing to the people of Rome. It's the same heart that God is speaking to the church today. God is bringing unity. God is bringing unity. To our church, to the local church, can we be a community that cultivates safety and hospitality? Can we be a community that lives out the gospel through radical acceptance of one another? And I do want to say for those who are new, for those who may be struggling with this, I want to ask you humbly, for those who are new, I ask for the benefit of the doubt. Give us the benefit of the doubt. And it's definitely easier said than done, but I really want to challenge and gently nudge nudge you to put yourself out there. Like I did at at ACF, I was, I pursued, I I realized something was wrong. I put myself into that men's small group as, as uncomfortable as it was. Be proactive in connecting and don't wait for people to come to you. It is a two way, it is a two way street. Um, I'm not saying this not only because you have needs and seek belonging. I'm actually saying this because you actually have something to offer. I'm not saying this to fulfill a need of yours. I'm saying this because you are a blessing. You have a story. You have something powerful to offer the body of Christ. So please be proactive. Um, Everything I just shared right now, everything I just shared here, um, I'm sure everyone here will say yes and amen. I just preached the Bible. It is the truth. It's all biblical, and this is our aim. This is what we want to pursue. This is what we want to grow in. This is what 
we all want at the end of the day. This is what I believe God is doing, whether we feel it or not. But at the same time, as a church, as a whole, but also as individuals, God is sanctifying and purifying His church. Like God is sanctifying you and I, God is sanctifying each and every church. We are still a body of believers who are being sanctified, which means we all have a lot of rough edges to smooth out still. We are all sinners still being sanctified in this community. Um, an unfortunate common phrase I hear um, far too often, unfortunately, is I've been hurt by the church. I've been burned by the church. I've been hurt, hurt by the church. And I want to read this quote by uh, Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote this book called Safe People. And he says this sobering truth here. Um, I don't know where we are on the slide. The next one is a quote by Henry Cloud. It says, Anyone who has been in the church for very long has been hurt by people in the church to some degree. For in the body of Christ, we find some harsh realities. Judgment, pride, self-centeredness, manipulation, abandonment, abuse, control, perfectionism, domination, and every kind of relational sin known to humankind. The walls of the church do not make it safe from sin. In fact, the church by definition is composed of sinners. You know, very sobering to read this. Um, as we read, as we read Romans chapter 12, in this heavenly reality that we desire so much in our hearts, the reality is that pursuing family, pursuing everything we read here, guess what? It's going to get messy. It's going to get messy. We talked about hospitality a lot, cultivating a safe space. And a question that we really need to ask ourselves as individuals and as a church, and especially the weight of this, a lot of us, it goes on leaders, right? All of us leaders. Is the church a safe place? Is our church a safe space? Henry Cloud, he goes on to say this. The church is not a totally safe place. And it does not consist of only safe people. As much as we would like for it to be totally safe, the truth is that the church has to be seen the way God describes it. We must, if we are going to have a biblical view of relationships and people, and live the way that God wants us to live. We must see the church as he describes it. Our faith must be able to square it with the reality of life as we find it. And with the reality that the Bible describes to us. What is he saying here? There are two realities here. One is the church is broken. And the church are composed of both safe people and unsafe people. We should not assume that just because it's a Christian church, just be, if you're seeking for belonging, 
I want to say this sober reality here. We're all pursuing to be people of safety. But please guard your hearts as well. Because we're all being sanctified. And the church is not automatically a safe place. Cultivating a safe family directly has to do with every, each and every person's individual growth and maturity in Christ. What I'm saying is your maturity in Christ, your growth and your walk with the Lord, it has direct implications in cultivating this family that God has placed you in. Whether it's New Philly family or any other community, we're all one church. The core question is this, are you growing in selflessness? Are you growing in empathy? The church is where we practice and cultivate selfless love. It is also a place and platform where we learn to mature relationally. And for this to take place, we need to understand the gospel. We need to understand grace We need to learn how to show each other the benefit of the doubt. We need to know how to forgive one another. We need to know how to be patient with one another. We need to grow in seeing one another as Christ sees us. We must get in view of God's mercy. We must have that in our hearts, in view of God's mercy. And we must extend grace in appropriate measures. And when I say appropriate measures, I'm saying this. I'm saying that however much you can handle it without being overwhelmed, without being a detriment to your own emotional and mental health. I don't want religion to be stuffed down your throat and because of what I'm preaching. and I don't want you to feel like you immediately have to trust, immediately have to put yourself out there. But I do want to say I respect your pace with God. I respect what God's doing in your life. When you're ready, And when you feel safe enough, when the Holy Spirit leads you with the courage that he gives you, that is when I ask, let's grow in this together. Safe churches consist of safe people. How safe are we? And I'd like to ask you, maybe even journal about it. Ask yourself, how safe am I? Am I a safe person? Do people feel safe around me? How can I grow in sincere love? How can I grow in fostering a place where people can joyfully have a committed love? How can I grow in a passionate love, a passionate pursuit? How can I grow in growing in a safe love? Real quick, because the time is limited, I just want to show this slide real quick. When you look at this um, two, you know, two groups here. Here are some of the qualities of a safe person and some of the qualities of an unsafe person. And by the way, it's much easier to identify this about other people. But at this time, I, w- I want to humbly ask if we can examine ourselves as we read this. A safe person is, it's funny because we're reading the Beatitudes, a safe person is a meek person. It's a teachable person. A safe person has overflowing empathy and compassion. A safe person has high EQ. It's self-reflective about their growth and maturity. A safe person looks inward more than outward. 
humble at admitting weaknesses and faults. Safe people are selfless listeners. These are just a few qualities of a self, uh, safe person. An unsafe person, unempathetic, harsh and critical, unteachable and defensive, lack of self-awareness, rarely or half-heartedly apologize, need-based relationship, controlling and manipulative. These are the qualities of an unsafe person. And before you feel any kind of shame, if you do, I do want to say this. That list there of qualities of an unsafe person, that's all of us to a certain degree. I'll confess myself, a lot of these lists, I feel so much conviction. I'm asking desperately for the Holy Spirit to change my life, to change my heart in these areas. I want to be a safe person, not because I want to be known as a safe person, because I want the church to shine. Because I want God to be glorified in the sanctification of His church. And I pray that that would be you and I. Before I close this message, um, I want to take a moment actually to just speak from my heart. As I was preparing this, I felt conviction uh, to want to be a bit more challenging for a moment because we're on the topic of safety and hospitality here. Uh, I'd, like a, I'd like to take a moment to speak with my fellow brothers in this house. I want to speak to the guys in this house and on this topic of safety. And I'm saying this, first of all, I want to establish this, that it's both men and women. We're all in this together that contribute to cultivating a safe house here. But because I'm a man and a brother myself, I'm speaking on the behalf of brothers, two brothers, and I want to take a moment to say this. I, per- I personally believe that in whatever family, whether that's your biological or spiritual, whatever family, it makes a huge difference when we as men take our place in doing our part in cultivating and establishing safety. I'd like to challenge all the men to take some time to examine where we are. We need this family, New Philly. We need this community to be a place where the primary motive for being a part of this family is a pursuit of Christ and maturity in Him. He is our one thing. Our pursuit of Christ must be the primary reason we're part of this family. Of course, that's not always 100% of the case, which is why we need to keep one another accountable. And I want to be gently direct with this question and to all of us. I want all us, all, us, all us guys to ask ourselves, do people feel safe around me at this church? In this community, do people feel safe? Do people see men who pursue Christ? Do people see men of integrity, men of purity, men that serve wholeheartedly and humbly, men who are not passive, Christ-like men? Brothers, are we a stumbling block or are we a sign that points to Christ? We have a lot to contribute when it comes to cultivating a space of safety. Um, To my sisters, um, if you, I just want to share this. If you feel like you are someone who has felt unsafe at our community, you have felt hurt or disrespected or even misguided in the church, by men 
by leaders, by the way our church is, whatever it is, I want to sincerely apologize on the behalf of men. Because from your experience, I want to say, that was not right. And you don't deserve that. If we as guys have in any way hindered you from pursuing Christ, and rather, if we have not pointed you to Him, I'm truly sorry. And would you please forgive us? That was wrong of us. And sisters, I would like to humbly ask for your patience for us guys as well. We are broken and we act out in our sin. Please forgive us. Please be patient with us. And I humbly ask you to help us. We need your help. We need your help. Would you remind us, even when we don't deserve it, would you remind us and champion us when we are weak? Would you remind us and champion us to stay the course and pursue Christ with all of our hearts? Would you remind us to keep the Lord first place in our hearts? Would you speak the truth and love to us where it is needed? Would you encourage us to stand straight, depend on the Lord, and move forward in godliness? And I humbly ask um, for this to our sisters on the behalf of the men. And I ask, um, brothers, let's be humble. I believe God is going to bolster and strengthen this family and this house. And I believe that God is going to do a mighty work in each and every one of us, guys. Now, as a leader and a pastor, I'd like to share my heart um, with those, with anyone who has been deeply impacted by the church in hurtful ways. There's a mixed bag of experiences at our church community. Um, if you have felt the very opposite way of what I preached today in Romans 12, as on the behalf of the leadership, I want to say I am truly sorry. We are truly sorry for the pain that you have experienced in our community. This is not the way it was supposed to be. be. I pray that the power of the gospel and the love of Christ will bring deep healing and that in God's timing, there will be a hope restored for the church to be a family that God envisions. For some, this message is a very sensitive message. I can understand. It may feel overwhelming. It may bring back some pain, painful memories. This message perhaps have brushed up against some sensitive nerves. If that's you, I just want to say don't feel pressured. Please don't feel pressured. We respect your journey with God. And we trust that God knows best of how and when you would perhaps feel safe again and courageous again to love a broken people. Each and every one of us have very different experiences with the family of God. Some of us have been extremely hurt and traumatized by abuse. Some of us have experienced the greatest breakthroughs and most significant seasons of healing and growth within the church family. Many of us have experienced both the ups and downs. But I'm here to preach, the Bible says here, to be as sensitive as possible. I declare this truth, that still you and I, we are the family of God. We are the family of God. We are fellow sinners, 
And the only way we're going to get through this, and here's my last closing statement, is in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy. This message applies to every single one of us. First things first, let's put on the lens of God's mercy. The degree of our understanding and revelation of God's love for us is the degree of how much we can extend it to one another. Do you find yourself struggling to love well? As a pastor, I do a lot of times, if I were to be honest. Do you find yourself feeling challenged to love more intentionally? Do you find yourself as a well, as an empty well, longing to be filled? Or do you find yourself as an overflowing well? I want to encourage our church, let us immerse ourselves in the loving kindness of God. His love towards you and me, His love towards every single one of us is so sincere, so genuine. His love toward you is so pure. His love towards you and I is committed. His love toward us is enduring through all the resistance we give Him. His love is passionate, zealous love. His love is welcoming. His his love is safe. His love is enduring, empathetic, humble, extravagant. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would directly experience all these different aspects of God's love. And let that overflow to this family. To this family.